Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Um, so tonight we're going to be continuing with our series on the Sermon on the Mount where we take just a little piece of Jesus' teachings and dive a bit deeper into it and see what we can find. And as you can see up there, tonight we're going to be going through the good and the bad fruit. And it's important to understand where this actually lies in the Sermon of the, on the Mount. Um, this is part, I guess, of a, a little mini-series that Jesus does within the Sermon on the Mount uh, where he does a whole lot of comparisons. So he compares the narrow and the wide gate. He compares the good and the bad fruit. He compares the true and the false disciples. And he compares the uh, wise and the foolish builders. And it's important to understand it in that context. And I'll go through why in just a moment. But first, let's just go through the actual verse. So it sounds a little something like this. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So that's the verse. We're probably familiar with it if we've been in our church and reading scripture uh, throughout our lives. Um, but before I actually go into what I think Jesus is actually saying here in these verses, I want to just spend the first part of tonight just talking about what I don't think he is saying. Because like Carol was alluding to before, we often read scripture within our own contexts, our own understandings, our own thoughts. And so verses like, well, that's really small. <laughs> It wasn't like that when I put it together. <laughs> I should be whispering it. <laughs> um, you're just going to have to trust me what it says there. <laughs> so, verses like this and others within the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere in Scripture are often seen as verses of condemnation, especially that last line there, and I'll read it for you because you can't see it. Uh, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's pretty vivid imagery, isn't it? And so with our modern minds, with our understanding of, or our assumptions of heaven, hell, the afterlife, salvation, all that kind of stuff, we can easily draw lines that say that Jesus here is condemning false teachers, false prophets, whatever that might be, to be cut down, thrown into the fires of hell. But I don't think Jesus is saying that. And just like what Carol was talking about when she did her sermon on the wide and narrow road, I don't think the wide road is necessarily that highway to hell and the narrow road is that small winding goat track which only a few of us will find to salvation, I think Jesus is saying something to the Jews that they understand their own context and something that we, looking at it through our modern eyes, see it as something quite different. And so there's a few reasons why I think Jesus is not condemning certain people to hell in this passage. Uh, Firstly, I think it's important for us to realise that the way we interpret Jesus' words is very indicative of the way we see God. And so if we see God as an angry God, as a vengeful God, as a God that demands the price for sin to be paid in blood, whether it be ours or Jesus, then yes, you can absolutely read verses like this and I understand why you would see that Jesus is here condemning certain people to hell. But that's not the Jesus I know. That's not the God that I know. 
throughout the, not my studies especially, um, but throughout my whole life, God has been revealing himself to me bit by bit by bit. And the more I get to know God, the more I see he is not an angry, vengeful God ready to hit me with a lightning bolt as soon as I do something wrong. He is a loving God. He is more loving than I could have ever imagined and I will ever understand. He is more forgiving than I will ever understand. He is more graceful, more loving, more caring. And so when you read passages like this, if that is your understanding of God, then these words from Jesus, it doesn't quite mesh there. So we need to ask ourselves, what is Jesus actually saying here? Now, of course, you could say that maybe I am just reading my own thoughts about God into this, uh, these verses. But there are some other reasons why I don't think Jesus is saying that as well. And so if, to understand the, my next two points, you need to understand the way the Jews uh, wrote uh, Scripture in the Bible and things like that as well. They understand a bit of the structure of their, um, their literature. And so when a Jewish rabbi or scribe or whoever it is is making a point, one of the ways they place emphasis on something is they repeat it again and again and again. And this might just be in a certain verse or a book or a theme or anything. And so whenever you read scripture and you see something that has been repeated, you need to pay close, close attention to that because that is a key point of the message. And what is the key point of the message here? What is the thing that's being repeated. It's not about being, you know, cutting down trees and throwing them into the fire. That, if anything, is just kind of said off the cuff. What is repeated here is, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That is the point Jesus is trying to make. He says it there in the second line, and he follows up at the very end saying, thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That is the point Jesus is making. How to recognize the good fruit from the bad fruit. That's the point he wants us to see. Not, this is, this is what this verse is about, not about who's going to hell, who's going to heaven, but how we can recognize those who we should surround ourselves with, who are doing a good work, producing a good fruit, and those who maybe we should avoid and, and just disregard those negative, those ungodly messages. It's not about condemning those people to hell. And then the third point that makes me think that Jesus isn't talking about condemnation here is we need to understand the way Scripture was written in. Or more specifically, different parts of Scripture are written in different ways. And actually, Brad Jerzak, uh, who's coming in February, he does some amazing work around this. And one of the best talks I ever heard about it was one of his talks. And if you Google, hang on, I have it here. If you Google how the Church Fathers interpreted Scripture, you'll get a link to the video. It goes for just under an hour. You have some time watch it, it's amazing, he goes through some really good stuff there. Uh, but basically, the scripture is written in different ways. So some scripture is written as law, other parts of scripture is written as poetry, other parts of scripture is written as parables. And we need to understand these different ways of scripture is written so we can apply the right understanding to it. And so when it comes to parables, and this is what I think Jesus is doing here, he's giving us a little mini parable with this analogy of the fruits uh, of the, uh, the figs and the grapes and thorns and thistles. It's a tiny little parable that he's giving us here. And the thing with parables are, the important thing is the message that is being conveyed, not about the fine details. You don't need to nitpick and go through every single part of a parable and read it like it's actually written to be law. And so a, a great example is the parable of the Good Shepherd. We're familiar with that one. You've got the Good Shepherd, he wakes up, looks at these 100 sheep, notices there's one missing and so what's he do he goes off finds the sheep and brings it back that's a parable but that's not 
how a good shepherd works, is it? If you're a good shepherd, you don't leave your 99 sheep vulnerable, <laughs> unattended, to go find one sheep. By the time he gets back, who knows how long it's going to take him to find other sheep. Sheep thieves could have stolen the other flock. Bears, wolves could have eaten those sheep. They could have just wandered off because sheep are dumb. <laughs> and so the detail isn't about how to be a good shepherd. The, the point of that message is Jesus, God, knows his flock. He will re- recognize it straight away if anyone is missing. And he pursues us. It's not us pursuing him. He is pursuing us, finding us, chasing us, bringing us back to the kingdom. That's the point of the parable, not how to be a good shepherd. And so when we read a parable like this, we also need to apply that same kind of understanding. And so where Jesus says, um, a good tree only bears good fruit and a bad tree only bears bad fruit, again, you have to think, is, is that actually true? Because I, I'm, not a, I'm not a farmer. I've got dead bamboo in my backyard. Apparently, it's impossible to kill bamboo. I've managed to do it. <laughs> Woo. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that you can have good crops and bad crops from year to year. And if you read this as if it's not a parable but law, then you walk away with some very twisted ideas like once bad, always bad. That, that's a horrible thing to walk away with. That's where we've gone down, or not we, but um, other sectors of Christianity have gone down with like Cal- Calvinism and things like that, with you are the good people, you bear good fruit, you'll always bear good fruit, you are the chosen, you are the elect, you are going to heaven, but you are the bad fruit, you are the bad trees, you only can produce bad fruit, you are wretched, you are horrible, you will never produce good fruit, you are the reprobate, you are going to hell. And that's a horrible theology to, to come out with. And so we need to be wise about how we read this scripture and how we interpret it. If once bad, always bad was the case, then look at the Apostle Paul. He produced some horrible fruit. He was slaughtering Christians. There's not much worse fruit that you can produce than that. But what happened on the road to Damascus? He met Christ and he turned around and he turned into a good tree producing good fruit and probably produced more good fruit than anyone else in that New Testament. If once bad, always bad was the case, then I would have been condemned a long time ago. One of the first messages I ever gave in this church was a long, long time ago. It was just a little message around the around the offering, a little five-minute one. I was probably in my early 20s at the time. And um, I, I was interested in the, uh, getting interested in the property market at the time. <laughs> and so in my mind, I thought a great offering message. Actually, we don't even do offering messages anymore, do we? It, it usually consists of, oh crap, we forgot the offering. <laughs> Shows how far we've come as a church. <laughs> um, my thoughts about this offering message was, okay, so rather than us use our money to invest into the worldly things, let's invest them into the kingdom of God, what is, in, what is eternal, rather than what will turn to ash and dust, just like it says in scripture. So yeah, great foundation. But the way this message came across was, the more money we give in our offering, the better house we'll get in heaven. <laughs> and so we're actually buying our status into heaven to get closer to God. That's a horrible theology. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and... That's, I could be seen as a false teacher, a false prophet, whatever that might be. I would have been condemned a long time ago. Thank God that's not the case. I like to think I'm a little bit more solid now than I was back then. And so it's important for us to understand what Jesus is saying in these cases. So 
again, here Jesus is not saying that we need to condemn whatever these people are. It's, it's not so much about what is going to happen to them, but how us ourselves can surround ourselves with a good fruit and produce a good fruit ourselves. That is what Jesus is saying. He's not asking us to go and form a mob, lynch the false teacher, condemn them to hell. That's what I think Jesus is not saying. Okay, so now on to what I do think he's saying. So here Jesus is, compare, is giving us a comparison within his little series of comparisons, isn't he? And so the first comparison he makes is what is seen, sorry, what is unseen, which is the wolves in sheep's clothing, versus what is seen, which is the fruit. And so basically what he's saying there is that uh, we can't always recognise these false teachers, false prophets, those who are trying to lead other people astray. They might just look like one of us. They can hide their appearance. They can even hide their messages, but they can't hide the fruit that they produce. And so if we want to find out and protect ourselves and each other against these false prophets, whatever that might be, then we need to look at what they are producing. What kind of fruit are they producing? That's the point there of this first comparison here. The imagery Jesus uses here is not by accident. And so this next comparison, the, the thorns and the thistles versus the fig tree and the grapes, that imagery for the Jews is dripping with meaning. It means so much to them. And this is something that they, the Jews would have had drilled into them from a young age, from their, whatever their version of Sunday school was kids church again and again and again and again this imagery would have come up time and time again so when Jesus talks about it talks in this analogy a lot of connotation will be made there and so firstly if you go to the next slide that's mostly the right size the thorns and the thistles so the first time we see the thorns and the thistles it is uh, just after Adam and Eve have been evicted from the Garden of Eden and they've gone from a lush place in the lap of God where everything is green, bountiful, fruit just grows all by itself, it is plentiful. And they go out to, uh, and they exile and to a place where it's barren. They have to work to make their own food. They have to uh, dodge the thorns and thistles that are coming up. So thorns and thistles are seen as an analogy for sin and sinfulness that has come into the world, that once you have left that perfect realm of God. And as we continue to read through the Old Testament, the thorns and the thistles become more than just an analogy just for the sin, but they also become an analogy for other sinful nations around. So you have the Israelites, God's chosen people, but then you have the thorns and thistles, the Gentiles, the other people there that are also in the world that are seen as a sinful people as well. And so it's important that we have this understanding of what this actually means. Actually, I love that. I've got a few verses up there, just for an example. You don't need to go through and read them all. But I love that, where is it, that third last one from Proverbs. A thorn bush is in the, sorry, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. <laughs> How good is that? Just get this image of this guy wasted off his brain, waving his thorn bush around, cutting himself up, cutting up people around him. It's a disaster. Just like that is the proverb in the mouth of a fool. <laughs> Anyway, it's good for us to understand this imagery that the Jews understood because when we then read the scripture, we can also see deeper meaning through the words that are used and the imagery that is used throughout scripture. So, thorns and thistles, think about the crucifixion of Christ. And just before, what do the Romans do? They put a crown of thorns on his head. 
Now, without this understanding, this imagery, you think crown of thorns on the head is just a, a weird punishment that hurts because the thorns will dig into your forehead. However, for a Jew, the thorns and the thistles are so much more symbolic. And so what this means is when they say, they put this crown on Jesus and say, here is the king of the Jews, what they're really saying is, here is the king of the sinners. Here is the king of everything ungodly, unworthy. Here is the king of everything that's wrong with the world, the king of evil. Here is basically Satan himself. And so when we understand this imagery used, we, it gives us so much more meaning. And we can actually see the irony of them putting the, the crown of thorns onto Jesus there. And so it's so much richer when we understand it. Okay, now looking at the other side of the analogy, the fig tree and the grapevines, also very symbolic for the Jews as well, but the opposite. And so the grapes, the fig trees, it's a sign of prosperity. It's a symbol of abundance. It's a symbol of love, of chosenness, of health. And again, the first time we actually see the fig tree mentioned in the Bible is again, just after Adam and Eve have sinned, they've eaten the fruit, and they actually cover themselves up with fig leaves. In fact, the fig tree is the only tree that's actually mentioned by name that's in the Garden of Eden, which is interesting. And then as they enter the Promised Land, they find the, the grapes that it takes two men to actually hold this, this uh, vine of grapes because the grapes are so plentiful. And the, and, uh, the figs are there and the pomegranates, and we get all this symbolism of uh, prosperity. And this becomes a symbol of the Jews. They are prospering under God. However, then the analogy begins to change as we read through the Old Testament and the Jews, their track goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And so when the Jews are going well, or the Israelites, I should say, are going well, then the figs are bountiful and the grapes are flourishing and the big and the juicy. But when they sin and they turn away from God and away from uh, their teachings, then the fig tree withers and dies and the grapes turn bitter and sour. And so this analogy of the fruit is seen almost like a spiritual barometer of the spiritual health of the Israelites, which is really interesting there. And even um, Jesus picks up on this imagery. And in John's Gospel, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, again, there is this strong imagery that we find interwoven throughout the Old Testament and through uh, the New Testament Gospels and Scriptures as well. And then there's another analogy for the fig tree too. So to sit under your, the shade of your fig tree as a Jew is the epitome that you have made it. It's the epitome of safety, peace, well-being. This is the place where every good Jew aspires to be, be sitting under the shade of their own fig tree. Today's equivalent would be to own your own boat. <laughs> Not just a little tinny, but a nice luxury yacht. And uh, actually, the owners of the company I work for, they actually own a few luxury yachts. And they use them for private use, but they also charter them out as well. And every Christmas time, we get to go up and we have a Christmas party on the yacht and do a big sail around uh, Sydney Harbour. And it's amazing. And, and it, you, it, you can feel it actually change something inside of you when you're on, on that yacht. It's, it's got like five bedrooms, got a jacuzzi on the front, multiple levels. It's, it's beautiful. And you're like, you know what, I, I, could, I could get used to this life. This is pretty good. And you start saying things like, oh, I wonder what the poor people are doing today. <laughs> it's, it's almost something inside you that changes when you're on, on this yacht. And actually, so I had the idea, Fung's got a significant birthday coming up in a, in a few years' time. It's going to be 30. <laughs> and I thought, maybe I'll see if I can hire out this yacht. We could all go up and have this big party on Sydney Harbour. 
And the quote came back for eight hours at $17,000. So I guess I know what the poor people won't be doing <laughs> for Fung's birthday. But actually, we're going to take another offering <laughs> after the service. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so to sit under your fig tree in the shade is a sign that you've made it as a Jew. In fact, this is where Jesus finds Nathaniel sitting under the shade of his fig tree. Now, again, without the context, I think he's just kind of slacking off. <laughs> but he has made it. He is comfortable. He doesn't have to work because he's got other people to do that for him. And so whether when Nathaniel and Jesus first meet, Nathaniel says, do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you sitting under your fig tree. Now, whether Jesus literally saw him sitting under the fig tree or Jesus was just saying, uh, I know you are a, a well-off man, I know you're comfortable, I know you have aspired to everything that every good Jew aspires to, not really too sure. But really, it doesn't matter too much because Nathaniel saw something in Jesus that all his comfortability, all his wealth, all of his success was not able to give him. And he still chose to leave all that and go follow Christ as well. And so again, the imagery of the fig tree is important. And so when Jesus says, you cannot pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles, you can imagine in the Jewish mind, this would immediately draw up images that, yes, good people, good Jewish people, good chosen people cannot come from the Gentile regions. They cannot come from outside. This is all of us inside here. But we know Jesus, that wasn't the message of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to uh, condemn the world. He came to save it, just as it says in uh, in John's Gospel. And so, this is why I think it's so brilliant that Jesus actually talks about this wolf in sheep's clothing beforehand. Because before the Jews could even have a chance to go out there and start drawing these lines about, again, how they've done so many times, how we are the chosen ones, we are so much better than everyone else in the world, Jesus is saying, no, the enemy, the false prophets, you need to watch out for, they're not out there. It's not the Romans, it's not the Greeks, it's not any of the other Gentile nations. It's inside your Jewish circles. It's inside here with you. You need to be careful. But you're not going to be able to recognize them just by looking at them, even by necessarily hearing their messages. It's by the fruit you will recognize them. And again, this is why Jesus got himself into a lot of trouble because who are the Jewish people he is talking about? It's the Pharisees. It's the Sadducees. It's the teachers of the law. And so Jesus is saying there are, there are false teachers there. Not all of them, but there are false teachers out there. Be careful. Disregard that. He's not saying they're going to hell, but disregard that and surround yourself by the good fruit, the good teaching. And so that's what I think Jesus is saying, and that's the connotation 2,000 years ago. How we apply this in our lives today, I think is also very important as well. And so rather than me just go through this, I want us to, as a church to actually just have a bit of a chat about this ourselves. And I want to propose just two questions and give you a few minutes, have a chat with the person sitting next to you, and I'd just love to hear just a few people share about what you came with from there. So if you go to the next slide, just two questions. What are some of today's false prophets? Because we don't get too many prophets these days. Sometimes, yeah, depending on the church you're at, you might get some prophets coming in and out of the church or people that practice that prophecy, and fantastic. But I don't think I've ever seen a prophet on the, on the street corner or I've ever heard of a prophet going to Parliament House and preaching to the politicians or whoever's the Prime Minister at the time. Um, and so, yeah, what are these false prophets? Because there are other things in this day and age that promise one thing but deliver something that looks very, very different, isn't there? So what, what is that today? And the next question, what does this good and bad fruit look like? 
Because Jesus, he doesn't actually tell us. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruit, but he doesn't actually tell us what that fruit is. So what do you think that is? Have a chat with the person next to you about both of these questions, and then we'll pass the mic around. You can answer one, either or, or both if you want, and we'll see what we come up with. So go for it. Okay, I might just stop you there. Sorry, was that too soon? <laughs> just getting to a good conversation. <laughs> okay, um, who's got anything I'd like to share? Anything good? Oh, here you go, man. So for the first one, what are some of today's false prophets? We thought it's that sense of individualism and consumerism. And it's the lie that it constantly tells you that just a little bit more, just a little bit more, you'll make it, but you've just got to have that slightly bigger house, that slightly bigger income, slightly, you know, more education. And so you're never arrived and, and you're never going to be content until you get that little bit more. And it's like that lie that it tells you. So we strive for something, but even when you get there, then the goalposts change again and then you're unhappy again and then it starts again. It's always beyond, yeah. You're never going to actually reach it. And so for the good and bad fruit, this was a bit harder to answer because it's a bit more intangible. We felt it was a bit harder to actually name, but I suppose we thought it's... Number one, it doesn't matter what the fruit looks like on the outside. It's actually what's happening on the inside. And so we kind of named it as like an emotional healthiness. So if there's emotional healthiness for yourself and the people that you are influencing, then that's the good fruit. But the bad fruit is when that emotional healthiness isn't there for yourself or people in your close group, your colleagues or family. And that, yeah, definitely, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside, it's about what's happening on the inside. Because it can look like grapefruit on the outside, but if everybody's stressed or exhausted or feeling like they're burnt out, then that's not actually good fruit, no matter how good it looks. Thanks for that. Yeah, kind of what you're saying, I mean, it's almost related, well, it is related as well, I think. It's that um, the false prophet is looking like we have it all together, but if you're not together, inside will determine the kind of fruit you produce. Yeah. Great. Anyone else? Yeah. yeah, mine's a bit along the same vein. I um, read some, something, it might have even been on social media this week, but uh, talking about capitalism and is it good or is it bad? And it was just pointing out, look at the fruit of capitalism. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. People are encouraged to think about themselves, about getting ahead at the expense of other people sometimes. Um, yeah, so it, you could consider that a false prophet. But then again, the very media that I use to research that, I think potentially has uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a false prophet too. What, look at the impacts that social media is having on some of our young people and some of the, 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 the bad, bad um, social habits it's creating. Yeah. Thank you. Oh. Just about the fruit. Um, I was thinking about the story when Jesus came upon the fig tree and the fig tree, though it looked good, it had um, green leaves, lush green leaves. It didn't bear, it wasn't bearing fruit um, and when the leaves indicate that it should be bearing fruit and then when Jesus cursed it, 
you know, just remind me of whitewashed tombs again, the Pharisees thing, you know, appearances and, and doesn't necessarily mean good fruit, good appearance, that's all. Um, when I looked at these questions, the first thing I was reminded of was this moment in this um, film. I think it was Father of Lights. Do you know the guy that does those docos, whoever that guy is? Darren Wilson, something like that? But it was one of his films, and he's hanging out with somebody, I don't know, Todd White, somebody, I don't know. He was there on, like, the Venice Beach boardwalk, and they're, you know, going to go and talk to people about Jesus. And they, they really felt like in the atmosphere spiritually that there was something really hindering it. And they look over, and there's a guy with his sign saying, you know, Repent. Turn from your sin now or you will be condemned to hell. You know, one of these kind of guys. And in, in the film, he's talking about how like, he felt like the judgment that that guy was holding his sign over those people really influenced the spiritual atmosphere. But then he himself, he, he confesses how he felt really challenged that his judgment upon that guy wasn't any better. And so he actually went over and was talking to the guy and, and he realized that he may not be um, coming at it from the right theological pers perspective, but yet he's still a Christian brother. And so I kind of was just like going like, well, here's a guy that maybe he is kind of like a false prophet because the fruit that he had was not much of anything. In fact, he was blocking things spiritually. Um, even though he thought he was coming from the right place, he quite possibly wasn't but yet the judgment upon him wasn't any better. So I kind of like what you were talking about with like a false prophet. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are supposed to be cut down and thrown to hell. He recognized that this was still a Christian brother. Like he still has a place in heaven, but he just might be a little misguided in the moment. Um, and I guess, you know, in a sense, good and bad fruit can kind of be like that. Um, I also thought just really quickly to relate to it is, when I first became a Christian, I was walking a path uh, for quite some time that was going well, and then uh, I got kind of like disillusioned or something, and in a moment, I decided to start going back down a path that led me in a really bad place. But by the time I started to do that, I actually had a few people following me. I was kind of half discipling some younger guys without realizing I was discipling them. And because I started to go down a different direction, I led them down that direction with me. And so in a sense, I became a false prophet at that point and my fruit was really bad and it spread into those people. And then by the time I got out of it, it took a long time for them to ever recognize that they were in a bad place and get out of it. And so I did a good job of leading them in a bad place, but it was hard to lead them back out. And so, yeah, good and fruit, good fruit and bad fruit can be within even ourselves, I think, at times. Thanks, Kev. Any back? And then show. Um, I found it really difficult because I feel like there are false prophets everywhere and that there's not a lot of truth that sounds like Jesus anywhere and sometimes even in the church. So if we're looking uh, kind of like uh, the scripture we're saying, not like out there, but within our own fold. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, we're talking about uh, priests who have abused kids and we're talking about a legacy, a church legacy of dispossession and um, 
being really horrible towards First Nations people, like, talk about bad fruit. And that wasn't recognized as bad fruit at the time. So what does that mean about the lens that we're looking at and judging things from and our own ability to be discerning? Um, I feel really like, whoa, it's a bit muddy. Like, we, we are so stuck in a place and a time and a context um, that we just really need the Holy Spirit. But then I keep going around because they all had the Holy Spirit, right? So... Why do I think I have some sort of trump card, Holy Spirit trump card, that helps me discern the good and the bad fruit when they couldn't discern it? Um, so it's just like a bit of a minefield in my head right now. Like, I don't know. And Fung and I were kind of talking about, we, we weren't coming up with many answers, but had a lot of questions um, about, you know, God's sovereignty, about um, subjectivity in discernment, um, yeah, and, and also about methods, like, okay, and I've heard this in a number of Christian circles, like, well, he can't have been a false prophet because people are being brought to Christ. People are coming into salvation, so they can't have been a false prophet, even though their methods were manipulative and um, effectively scared people into the pearly gates of heaven. Salvation was the, the outcome, and you can't have better fruit than that, Right? Um, so there's this sense in which also, what about the methods that we're using? Um, similar to your sandwich board um, kind of example, like, are there emotionally sound methods, methods that are God-honoring? Um, because the method is the message sometimes too, right? Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of thoughts right there, Oren. I'm going to be thinking about this for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Beck. And we might finish with Cheryl. Yeah, kind of following on from that, I think um, those two questions really do pose an issue of spiritual discernment. They really do. And so, you know, it highlights the fact that we need the Holy Spirit to, we need to move into his arms, move into his wisdom so that we can be discerning. One of the discernments to me with the um, good and bad fruit, you know, good fruit produces life. It produces life, it produces love, it invites us into the presence of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. It invites us into that embrace. The bad fruit is sort of like the curse. It produces death, it produces the need to perform, it produces condemnation. And that can those, just those, ex that example there can really help us with our discernment. When we're hearing something or seeing something, what is it producing in us? Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, I guess in my thoughts about this, I've... Um, and I've been thinking about it for probably the last two weeks as I was putting this uh, together. And one of the, the ideas of fruit in my mind came from where in, in Paul's uh, letters where he talks about the, the fruits of the Spirit. And whether that's a direct line or not, not too sure, but I think that might be a good place to, to start. The, fruit, the fruits of Spirit, so love, patience, goodness, faithfulness, or whatever the other ones else were. Yeah, all, all that... If, 
what we are doing, yeah, produces those kind of things. And perhaps we can start to think, yes, this is a good fruit. If we see other people doing it, is maybe like what, what you're saying, Beck, with the, um, are, are you scaring people to salvation? <laughs> is that producing a, a, a good fruit? Um, I mean, salvation, yeah, fantastic. Relationship, even better. And so that fear, I think, prevents relationship and a lot of those fruits of the spirit, whereas, you know, love, gentleness, all those kind of things produce, you know, closeness and intimacy. And I think that, that's a big difference as well. So I just want to finish with just one last question. This one we won't discuss, but feel free to think about it in your own time and throughout your week and things like that. And my question is this, what would the world look like if we didn't judge each other? Actually, judge isn't maybe the right word. Maybe value each other? What would the world look like if we didn't value each other by what is external? Kind of like what we were touching on before. By the, you know, the, our, our appearance, our methods, our, our heritage, the de denomination that we say we belong to. Instead, what if we valued each other by the fruit that we see each other producing? What would the world look like then? What would that look like as Christians? Because we are supposed to look different to the world. We're supposed to be a point of difference to the world as well. And while the world is looking at that external stuff, the social media stuff, whatever you might want to call it, if we are looking at a person's true character and what they are producing in those around them, even if their methods are a little bit weird, a little bit strange, not quite the same way we're doing it, maybe there is a good fruit, maybe the Holy Spirit is doing some good works in them there. And so what it might mean is that we do need to take time to get to know one another before we start passing judgment, before we start deciding someone's value. It means seeing people by their true character, beyond the exteriors and the masks that we either choose to wear or that we are just given because of our hand in life. It means looking at the world through a different lens. And then you think about the way God sees people. Maybe it would mean we'll start seeing each other the way God sees each other. Because you look at a lot of the heroes in the Bible, and they're, it's really it's a motley crew, isn't it? He's not choosing you know, the, the bright and shining city on the hill. He's, he's choosing the people that look like you know, they're the runt, of the litter. Um, I, read, I read this quote in a book, but I can't remember the book I read it in, but it was funny, so I jotted it down at the time. You might recognise it, you can tell me which book it's from. But it says this, it says, Noah was a drunk, Abraham was too old, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Leah was ugly, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson was an obnoxious womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah was too young, David was an adulterer and a murderer, that's interesting because David's probably, you know, the, the biggest guy of the Old Testament, but he gets two crosses. Um, Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow and Job went bankrupt. Yet they all produced an amazing fruit because God didn't look at their exterior. He saw a fertile ground inside each of one of those people. And we need to be looking for this fruit, looking for Christ. Maybe that's what we're looking for, looking for Christ within each other. How can we see Christ working through these people, even if the surface stuff doesn't look quite right? Because who's to say, if we were the ones living 2,000 years ago and we were literally looking at Christ, would we be the ones seeing the Messiah that has come, God incarnate, or are we the ones seeing the drunkard who just associates with sinners, that false preacher from Galilee? That's what Nathaniel first said about Jesus when he first heard about him. Uh, sitting under his fruit tree, uh, his fig tree, 
Uh, when you heard about Jesus, he said, can anything possibly good ever come from Galilee? And so, as Jesus is urging us to do here, let's not be shallow with our choices. Let's not choose what looks, just simply looks attractive or charismatic or whatever's in vogue. Let's choose who and what we listen to carefully. And let's us be careful with who or what we allow to influence us. And let's produce the best fruit we possibly can. And not just as individuals, as we were just talking about before, because we often hear a message and our individualism minds in this modern age think, how does this apply to me? But how does this apply to us as a church, as a community? How do we produce a good fruit together as a church, in this little church, in the greater church, in the greater region of Wollongong, Australia, the world? What does that look like? Let's produce some good fruit together. Cool. I'll finish with a prayer. God, thank you so much that you sent your son to not condemn us, but to save us. To show us what good good fruit looks like, so we can replicate that, and we can follow in your footsteps. And we can listen to the Spirit and plant those seeds, Lord. I pray we help us to remind us to continually to show good fruit, produce good fruit, give good fruit throughout our interactions in our lives, within the church, in our work, in our families, in our homes all around us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being a gracious God. And just because we might bear some bad fruit, you are not going to be cutting us down, throwing us into the fire. But you are the God of second chances, and you'll continue to forgive us and give us a second chance again and again and again. Lord, your fruit is truly, truly good. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza beloved member of Central. <laughs>